This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 45, The Book of Virata. Last time, we finished up Book 3 with two of the more famous tales from the Mahabharata. We started with the refresher on Karna's background, then went into the story of how Indra played on Karna's famous generosity to take away the earrings and armor that protected him from harm. Karna got a magic spear in return for his sacrifice, and he was happy with the bargain. Karna is possibly the most complex character in the entire epic. He is a perfect warrior. His loyalty, generosity, valor, and virtue are all as great as any other character in the story. And this is fitting since he's the sixth Pandava after all. What is confusing is that Karna manages to possess all these great qualities, while at the same time he's full of resentment and rage. The final story of Book 3 is a sort of necessary prelude to the Book of Virata. In it, Yudhishthira is tested by his father Dharma, and conveniently, he's granted the boon that he and his brothers need not worry about getting identified during the year of hiding. Book 4, the Book of Virata, begins with the Pandavas in the Dvaita woods, planning their next move. Yudhishthira asked Arjun to suggest some countries they could hide out in. Arjun suggested some interesting ones, like Panchala, the land of Draupadi's father, Shalva, whose king they had recently warred with, Chedi, whose king was killed by Krishna at Yudhishthira's Rajasuya, and Matsya. Arjun does not explain why he thought these would be safe and friendly places of refuge. Instead, Yudhishthira simply selected the final option, Matsya. Matsya, whose king was Virata, was located in the modern-day province of Rajasthan. Having dictated which country would be the refuge, Yudhishthira asked his brothers what disguises they each would take. Yudhishthira said he would be the royal dicing master, a Brahmin named Kanka. He would tell the king that he had once been a friend of Yudhishthira's. Bhima then said that he would serve as the king's cook, called Balava. On the side, he could entertain the king as a wrestler and strongman. Arjun then offered to be a hermaphrodite. His, her name, would be Brihanala, which translates roughly as woman with a large penis. He had trained to dance with Chitrasena himself, so he would be the women's dance teacher. In comparison with the three Kanteya's flamboyant disguises, the younger two twins took on more humble roles. Nakula would be master of horse, called Grantika, and Sahadev would be a humble cowherd, Tantipal. Finally, Draupadi volunteered to be handmaid to Virata's queen. Now that the disposition of the royals was established, Yudhishthira turned to the next in rank, their house priest, Dhamya. He ordered the Brahmin to go to Panchala and work for King Drupad until they were free again. As for the rest of the hangers-on, he sent his charioteers and horsemen to Dvarka and sent the rest to Panchala. Responding to this drastic turning of the tables, Dhamya asked permission to teach them of the perils of a courtier's life. Their priest then gave them a brief lecture on how to avoid making enemies at court and how to best please the king. I'm sure it was some useful advice for folks living in medieval times, but I'll spare you the details. Here are a few samples. Dhamya said, never offer advice to the king when he does not ask for it. When there's something funny, don't laugh too loud, nor should you keep silent. Be sure to sneeze, fart, and clear your throat quietly. You just should have thanked Dhamya for the advice, and lest others presume to lecture their king, he added, only you, Kunti, and Vidur may speak to us like this. The group then parted ways, with some heading for Panchala, others for Dvarka, and the Pandavas heading to Matsya. The brothers followed the Yamna River westward towards Rajasthan, then continued west once the river veered to the north. They hunted as they traveled and presented themselves as hunters to anyone they met. Soon they reached the outskirts of Virata's capital. 
At the edge of the city, there was a cremation ground. Arjun suggested they wrap their weapons as if they were a corpse and hang it in a tree near the ghat. Nakul obligingly climbed up the tree and hung all their collected weapons high up in the branches, where no self-respecting Hindu would go snooping around. Just as added security, they picked up a convenient corpse that was laying around and hung it next to the false package. The smell would be enough to keep people away from that tree. As a final secret precaution, before entering the city, Yudhishthira gave his brothers fictitious secret names. They would be called Jaya Jayanta, Vijaya, Jayatsena, and Jayatbala, respectively. Of course, being secret, no one would use them, except in an extreme situation. The brothers then broke up, donned their disguises, and filed into King Virata's palace. Yudhishthira, of course, was the first to present himself. As he entered the court, he struck everyone with his royal comportment, but when he told them he was a Brahmin gambler, they accepted his story without question. I get the impression that Virata was a wealthy cattle baron living on the outskirts of civilized society, so he was delighted to take in refugees from what was the hippest court in the world, Indraprastha. Thus, Yudhishthira was welcomed and given an honorable position in Virata's court. As soon as Kanka had been established at the court and given his position, another refugee from Indraprastha entered the court. Bhima approached the king carrying a spoon, a ladle, and a black iron sword, which presumably were the accoutrements of an ancient chef. The king was greatly impressed with this man's bearing as well, and he introduced himself as Balava, the former cook for the Pandavas. Although he felt Balava must be qualified for greater things, the king was happy to take on this cook, so Balava was set up in the royal kitchens. The next visitor to the court was Draupadi. It says she came in the guise of a chambermaid, with her hair perfectly braided and covered. Presumably because of her low-born status, or perhaps because she was a woman, she did not follow her husbands into the open court. Instead, she got herself noticed by the staff, and they asked her what she wanted. She told them she was a chambermaid looking for work. Her looks, bearing, and speech soon attracted the notice of Virata's queen, Sudeshna. The queen had her summoned and quizzed her. The queen asked, Who are you and what is your purpose? Draupadi answered, I have come as a Sairandri chambermaid. I want to work for anyone who will feed me. The queen was suspicious. She said, I've never seen a Sairandri that looks like you. Honestly, are you a goddess, an apsara? Draupadi stuck to her story, telling the queen that she was skilled in hairdressing, garland making, ointment mixing, and that she had learned her skills at the palaces of Dvarka and Indrapasta. The queen said, My dear, I would hire you right this minute, but look at you. Even the serving women are too distracted to do their work. The second my husband sees you, he'll throw me over and make you his queen. It would be suicidal for me to take you on. Draupadi had a solution for this as well. She said, Not Virata, nor any other man can hurt me at all. I have five young Gandharvas for husbands, and they are all the sons of the king of the Gandharvas. My husbands allow me to serve in a house where I do not eat leftovers and I do not wash men's feet. Any man who covets me like a commoner will not live to see the next day. That was enough to satisfy the queen, and she contentedly took Draupadi into her service. The next two Pandavas to get a job were Nakul and Sahadev. They got the king's attention when he was out reviewing his livestock, and the pair each got their respective jobs, tending horses and cattle. The last of the Pandavas to get a job was Arjun. He entered the king's court as a woman, hair combed out and unbraided, and sporting giant hoop earrings. The spectacle of this massively manly woman took the king aback. He addressed this creature, saying, Surely you're no woman. You're better endowed than any man in this court. If you only have the right attributes, I'm ready to hand the kingdom over to you right now. 
Who are you really? Arjun replied, My story is a sad one. I won't trouble you with the details, but I'll say that my parents abandoned me as both their son and their daughter. He, she went on, You can call me Brikhanala. I am skilled in dance and music. Allow me to be your daughter's dance teacher. Virata still felt this hermaphrodite would make a better general than a music master, but he agreed to hire Ambrikhanala as his daughter's teacher. Thus the Pandavas settled into their new life of servitude. We are told that they all prospered in their occupations and helped each other when they could. After living like this for four months, the king hosted a regional wrestling tournament. Big men came from all corners of India to display their strength. Virata asked his cook to participate in the contest, so Balava had little choice but to obey although he worried they might be found out. Balava fought and won every round, until by the end of the tourney, he had defeated every challenger. Virata was overjoyed at this, rewarding his cook generously, yet he never suspected that he had the famous Pandava performing for him. Following the tournament, Balava did less cooking and more fighting. He often fought elephants and tigers for the king's entertainment. And that was the best use King Virata could make of his illustrious protégés. He never suspected anything. This went on swimmingly for a span of ten months. With just a few months of hiding to go, Draupadi ran into some trouble. It says she was pretty miserable working for Virata's wife, Queen Sudeshna. Matters were made worse because of Sudeshna's brother, Vichaka. It appears that Virata was not a very warlike fellow, so he depended heavily on a half-caste marshal named Vichaka to keep him safe from invasion and secure on his throne. He obviously needed Vichakas badly enough that he took Vichaka's sister to be his queen. Poor Draupadi was stuck combing the hair of a woman who could barely qualify to be a serving girl at Indraprastha. Being an uncouth suta, Vichaka wandered freely in the queen's quarters and ogled Draupadi openly. Vichaka spoke to Sudeshna about her handmaid and got the full story from her. He asked Sudeshna and received permission to approach this girl. Vichaka begged Draupadi to come away with him. He offered to throw out all his other wives if she would agree to be his main squeeze. Draupadi was polite, but she got her point across. She said, Son of a Sutta, you have designs on the wrong person. I am a lowly hairdresser, far beneath your exalted dignity. You should never set your mind on another's wife. My husbands are Gandharvas, and they will strike you down in their wrath. Give up on this venture now. Thus spurned, Vichaka let her be, but he could not get over his dangerous obsession. He repeatedly begged his sister to help arrange something, saying he could not go on living without this girl. Vichaka was the marshal of the Matsyas, and had raised his entire clan to the level of royalty, so Sudeshna again gave in to her lascivious brother. This time, on a local holiday, Vichaka had prepared plates of meat and bottles of wine. Sudeshna ordered her handmaid to go to Vichaka's palace and pick up some of these delicacies. Draupadi was scandalized. She said, You cannot send me alone to that man's quarters. You know he has evil intentions. Did we not have an agreement about this when you hired me? Sudeshna said, Yes, yes, why do you question me? Don't you know that if I ask you to do it, you will certainly be safe? Now take this and return with my vittles. With that, she handed her an empty goblet with a lid on it. It was an order. Tearfully, as she went to Vichaka's quarters, Draupadi prayed to Surya for protection. We're told that the sun god heard her prayer and he dispatched an invisible Rakshasa to stay at her side and for it to protect her if need be. Vichaka was watching for her arrival and as soon as he saw her, he came running. He exclaimed, My long night has turned into day. You have come to be my mistress. Now make me happy. I have gold and jewels for you and wait till you see the nice bed I've got for you.
Draupadi kept her eyes averted and said, The queen has sent me to fetch wine. Give it to me and I'll be off. She does not want to wait. Kachaka said, Oh, she'll send another servant along. Let's not worry about that. Saying this, he caressed her arm. Draupadi trembled, and that was sufficient to throw Kachaka to the floor. Seizing her chance, Draupadi ran for it, heading for the king's court. Kachaka finally caught up with her just as she got before the king. While the king, Kanka, Balava, and the rest of the court looked on, Kichaka seized her by the hair and threw her on the ground. He kicked her once, then the Rakshasa gave him a shove that sent him flying. Bhima dearly wanted to finish Kichaka, but he feared exposure, so they restrained themselves. Ignoring her husbands, Draupadi addressed the king. She said, Me, the proud wife of men who could kill off this whole kingdom, was kicked by the foot of Asuta's son. How can these powerful men just sit there like eunuchs while their faithful wife is kicked? What am I to do when Virata here sees Dharma violated, an innocent woman kicked, and allows it? You do not behave like a king in this matter. Virata feebly tried to defend himself. He said, You guys were fighting before you came out here. How could I know what happened then? The author makes it clear that Vichaka and Virata were on their own in this conflict. It says the whole court took Draupadi's side and they marveled at her performance. Kanka, meanwhile, was biting his lip in an effort to control himself. He spoke to her like a stranger, saying, Don't stay here. Get back to the queen's quarters. You know the wives of heroes also suffer indignities, but the obedient wives of heroes gain paradise through their obedience. I suspect your husbands are thinking now is not the right moment for vengeance. You obviously have no real understanding of time, the way you flutter around like a trollop. You have interrupted our dicing, so beat it. Your Gandharvas will make you happy. Draupadi obeyed her husband, turning to go, but before she left, she shot back. I follow Dharma for the sake of men who are much too considerate. I guess there is no safety for a family that is headed by a gambler. She then unbraided her hair and, her eyes bloodshot with rage, she returned to the queen's palace. Sudeshna asked her, Who beat you like this? Why are you crying? Draupadi replied, I went to fetch liquor for you, and Kichaka kicked me before the eyes of the king and his court. Sudeshna said, I'll have him killed if you like. Draupadi said, No matter. Those whom he offended will take care of him surely enough. Draupadi then went to her room, washed up, changed her clothes, and pondered her next move. Obviously Bhima would be her best option for getting quick satisfaction, so she waited until late that night and then snuck out to the kitchens. She found Balava alone, asleep on his cot, snoring contentedly. Quietly as she could, she tried to wake him. Draupadi soon got annoyed and scolded him. Get up, get up. How can you lie there as if dead while that bastard who assaulted your wife still breathes? Balava finally woke, saw his wife there, and asked, What's the matter? What are you doing here? Is something wrong? Exasperated, his wife even brought up the dice game again. She said, What woman deserves pity more than Yudhishthira's wife? You know all my troubles, so why do you ask? It still burns me that I was dragged into the Kuru court and treated like a slave. What woman born of an ancient lineage like I am, would continue living after such treatment, only Draupadi. And I only continue to live on just to be kicked by the low-born Kichaka. Tell me, what is the point of that? Why should I go on? This lowly Sutta asked me to be his wife. This is all your brother's fault. It is because of him that I continuously suffer these outrages. We're all lords of the earth when he threw it all away out of his twisted sense of loyalty and now he contentedly plays dice to entertain an insignificant cattlemonger. 
She then complained about all their respective occupations, finally coming around to the fact that she spent hours each day grinding sandalwood paste. The king and queen especially liked her workmanship, so they'd only use her preparations. Bima then noticed her red, swollen, and calloused hands, and he began to weep, holding her hands to his face. He said, I would have wrought great slaughter in Varada's court had Yudhishthira not restrained me. I, too, suffer continuously because I have not yet avenged your many insults. But please, do not destroy our dharma. I'm afraid that if my brothers heard you talk like this, they would do something crazy. We have only a month and a half to go here, so please hang in there. When this year is up, you shall be a queen again. Choking back her tears, she said, These tears and complaints are only because of my suffering, not to censor the king. But the time has come, my husband, for Kachaka to end his life. The queen constantly worries that she may lose her husband to me, and Kichaka plays on this fear. This man has now crossed the line, and he must die. I tell you that if tomorrow the sun rises on this man and he's still alive, I shall mix poison and drink it. It will be the only way I could protect my virtue if you will not protect me. Bhima wept and said, I'll do it. Today I shall butcher Kichaka and his kin. Make a tryst with him and meet at the dance pavilion after dark. There I shall introduce him to his ancient grandfathers. The pair spent the rest of the night together, giving each other what comfort they could. At dawn the following morning, Kichaka sought out Draupadi. He bragged to her that he had kicked her right before the king, but they had not done anything about it. He said news of this had spread among the Matsyas, that Varata was afraid of him and that he was the real king of the realm. He said, I am the real lord of the Matsyas, and I shall be your slave. I will give you slaves and gold. What do you say? Let's get together. She replied, I shall meet you tonight, but I have one condition. Do not let anyone know about this, lest the glorious Gandharvas find out. You must promise to keep this secret. The smitten Kichaka agreed to everything, and the plan was made for them to meet at the dance pavilion under the cover of darkness. As Kichaka happily prepared for this evening's assignation, Draupadi went straight to the kitchens where she and Bhima secretly met up. She told her husband all that had been arranged, and Bhima grew happier than he'd been in years. He promised Draupadi, Thank you for such wonderful news. I swear to you by my brothers and my dharma that I will kill Kichaka tonight. Whether publicly or in secret, I will crush his head like an egg. He went on, If I get found out, I'll kill the whole race of the Matsyas. Then I'll go on and kill Duryodhana, and let Kunti's son Yudhishthira keep serving Virata, if that's what he wants. Bhima was obviously getting a little too excited, so Draupadi calmed him down. She said, Now, now, just keep to the plan and kill him quietly. As darkness fell, Bhima went to the pavilion and hid himself in the shadows. Not much later, the love-crazed Kichaka arrived. In the complete darkness, he found his way to the couch where Bhima was seated. Kichaka caressed Bhima's arm and said, I have brought you costly gifts and have been thinking only of you. Bhima Sena replied, How fortunate that you are so wealthy and so handsome. Now I will caress you like you've never been caressed. Laughing, Bhima grabbed Kichaka by his scented and curled hair. Kichaka was no slouch, however, and he quickly figured out he was in a fight and broke his opponent's hold. The two men were well matched, and the pavilion was nearly knocked down by their blows. Finally, Bhimasena got Kichaka in a deadly hold and squeezed him until he passed out. While Kichaka was still breathing, Bhima roared with fury and then jammed Kichaka's arms, legs, and head into his torso like a meat turtle. Meanwhile, Draupadi had been standing in the shadows watching Kichaka's downfall. So Bhima carried this vile meatball to her and placed it at her feet. Bhima let out a roar of primitive triumph and then slipped away to clean up and return to his post. 
Draupadi came out of the pavilion and happily informed the palace guard that her Gandharva husbands had taken the revenge. The guards, in their hundreds, all filed through the dance hall to look at the martial meatball. They marveled at the primal violence and assumed that only a Gandharva would take that sort of revenge. The next to come rushing to the scene were Kichaka's kinsmen. They saw what had been done to their patron and noticed Draupadi standing proudly nearby, and they grew enraged. They said, This whore is the cause of his death. Let her burn on his funeral pyre so he may at least enjoy her in the next world. They tied up Draupadi and got the king's permission to immolate her along with the marshal. With Virata's complicity, the Kichaka clan carried Draupadi off to the cremation grounds. As they picked her up, she yelled, Jaya, Jayanta, Vijaya, Jayatsena, Jayatbala, the suttas are taking me away. Bhima heard her call, and in his rage he grew larger, hulk-like, until his clothes broke open. In a fury he uprooted a tall banyan tree and chased after the Upa Kichakas. When the clansmen saw him, they thought he was the avenging Gandharva, and they scattered, leaving Draupadi free to go. This wasn't enough for Bhima. He needed blood, so he chased down about a hundred of them and smashed them with his tree trunk. He then ran to Draupadi and helped the weeping woman to unbind her arms. He said, There lie slaughtered a hundred and five of the men who molested you. Now go back to town, you are safe now. I will return to Virata's kitchen by a different road. Word quickly spread of the Gandharva's revenge, so the menfolk of the kingdom became terrified of Draupadi. As she entered the palace, men hid in fear, lest they offend her husbands in some way. They complained to the king, who was also afraid of her. Virata was also worried that his chambermaid had managed to destroy his entire department of defense, and his kingdom was now open to invasion. Virata was scared of her, so he had his queen talk to Draupadi. Sudeshna begged her to find a job elsewhere, or at least get out of the kingdom. Draupadi replied, Please let the king allow me just thirteen days more. At that point, my Gandharva husbands will have finished up their business, and will be moving on. Have no doubt that they will reward you for your forbearance. That's all for now. Next time we'll see the fallout from Kichaka's death at home and abroad. News of the coup will reach the court at Hastinapur, and Duryodhana's search for the Pandavas will heat up to a fever pitch. Thanks for listening. <laughs>